With so many different contract types out there, how do we know which one's the right one for you? Well, stick around, I'm gonna break that down for you. But first, good evening, Agile Acquisition Enthusiasts. Welcome back to the Underground Digital Tiki Bar. It's Friday night, and that means it's time for another episode of Agile Acquisitions and Alcohol. Cheers. So in tonight's episode, we're gonna talk about different contract types and which one's the right one for you. To kind of cut to the chase here, the right one for you may actually just be the one you're told you have to use. Whether you're on the government side or the industry side, Sometimes you just don't get a say in the matter. But assuming you do, it helps to have an understanding of what the different types are and what the pros and cons of each are. And we're gonna walk through some of that right now. It's important to understand that there's a difference between contract type and contract vehicle. So when we think about this, the contract types are gonna really talk about what is the mechanism for delivering and paying, what is the government buying? And it's typically classified as a fixed price. And a fixed price can be either a completion item or it can be a level of effort. And they're very different contracts. So a fixed price completion contract is going to be for typically for an end item. Uh, now in the agile day, we are talking about fixed price as an iteration and you're buying that repeatable process. So that's a little bit of a variation of it. But you can look at FAR 16.2 to get a little bit of a deeper understanding of what fixed price is, as opposed to fixed price level of effort, which is commonly capped at $150,000 and is typically used for uh, research paper or findings where there is hours going into producing a report of some sort. After fixed price, the other commonly used contract type is found under FAR 16.3, which is cost reimbursement contracts. These are the typical complex um, government contracts. They are cost reimbursable and within cost reimbursable, you have different types of, so cost plus, so cost plus fixed fee, where the fee is established, cost plus incentive fee, where it is very objective, uh, and cost plus award fee, where the fee is a very subjective determination by an award panel. But regardless, cost reimbursable contracts means the vendor is going to get reimbursed for all of their costs that are allowable, allocable, and reasonable. So that means they are going to be able to submit for everything that they incur, even if that amount exceeds the anticipated contract cost or what they proposed. Now there are far limitations that will go into contracts, limitation of funds and limitations of costs, which will prevent putting the government in a anti-deficiency act violation. So they are capped, but they could potentially charge more earlier in the contract and essentially run out of funding without completing the deliverables. Each of those, as I mentioned, will have their own fee attached to them. And that fee can vary based on the sort of cost reimbursable contract that's implemented. And then finally, the other type of contracts that's commonly used is time and material. Time and material is actually the least preferred contract type. And in a lot of instances, you actually have to get approval to use it. Uh, but to understand time and material, it's kind of like hiring a mechanic or a plumber. All of the costs associated with delivering are built into each hour for each labor category. And those are generally put into the contract. And so um, you have the actual cost of the 
employee doing the work. And then you have all of the indirect costs, overhead, fee, profit, all built into each hour. And it's a best effort. So you're not guaranteed an end state deliverable, but you're, you're guaranteed the vendor's best effort towards an end state. And they're commonly used for contracts where the outcome is difficult to predict or the amount of effort that is needed is difficult to predict. And it gives a lot more flexibility into the execution of the program. The reason why it's generally considered least preferred is because about 10 or 15 years ago, they were abused pretty significantly because it was easier and contracts just kind of ran wild and there was a lot of expense and some findings from GAO that suggested that it wasn't a good responsible contract, generally speaking. I think the pendulum is, is swinging on that as we move more into this iterative, agile mentality uh, where we are buying that repeatable process. It is a simple way to set that kind of contract type up. So those are your main contract types. In addition to that, you have different sort of vehicles. Uh, you may have heard of some of these and I think it's worthwhile unpacking them really quickly. You may have heard of a BOA or a BOA, a basic ordering agreement, versus a BPA, a basic purchase agreement, versus, a, versus an IDIQ or an indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract. So agreements are found under FAR 16.7, and that basic ordering agreement is essentially a mechanism where the terms and conditions are agreed to but minimum and maximum delivery is not actually contracted for. There has not been concession from both parties to establish a legally binding contract. It simply sets the playing field for ordering future requirements in a much more simple fashion. And speaking of simple, if we move over to simplified acquisitions in FAR Part 13, we find the blanket purchase agreement, also an agreement. The difference between a BPA and a BOA is that a BPA will have the pricing built into a catalog. So again, not contractually binding, but it further simplifies or streamlines the ordering activity. And just when you thought it was muddy enough, there's also a BAA, which is a broad agency announcement found under FAR 35 for research and development. And a broad agency announcement is a general statement of need that an agency puts out for research and development activities. And they can issue one or many orders off of it, typically in response to a white paper. BAAs, interestingly enough, were actually the inspiration for what we call CSOs, or Commercial Solutions Openings, which came out of the uh, Other Transaction Amendment, USC 2371B, which is what allowed OTAs to be used for prototyping. And finally, hope you're still with me, IDIQ contracts are found under FAR 16.5, and these are actual requirement contracts. So this is all of the basic terms and conditions are agreed to, but both the government and industry have made concessions. So there is a minimum guarantee and a maximum ceiling guarantee. And typically there will be some sort of initial task order that is awarded with the base IDIQ contract and then additional task orders will follow. And these are great for continuing efforts that you might do a pretty large acquisition to set up the initial capability and you can award to one vendor or multiple vendors and then either run sort of limited competitions within the IDIQ or you can have a single award IDIQ where you just continue to issue new requirements, but each of those requirements tend to be negotiated. 
So there you have it, different contract types. I will make subsequent videos to break down these individual contract types a little bit further, but hope, hopefully that provides you a landscape of different methods and contracts that can be used as you're thinking through how to work with the government or how the government wants to work with industry. And I hope you found this useful. And if you did, give me a thumbs up, subscribe, and until next week, cheers.